Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. This episode is going to be a little bit of an emotional one. Way back in January when I was researching episode topic ideas, I stumbled upon a fantastic font of tree lore. I had learned that the old Celtic faith documented the passing of the year with a calendar split into months that were named after trees. And each of these trees held important symbolism to the Celts, and in some cases several other cultures and belief systems around the world. I'm talking of course about the Oum Tree Calendar. No, it's not been a full year since I've started covering this bit of old religious history, but the fact of the matter is that, despite its name, not every month is named after a tree. So here we find ourselves in the last month of the calendar that talks about a tree. If you've loved this series on Celtic lore, then I'm terribly sorry, but covering bramble, ivy, and pond reeds are just a little bit too far from the narrative scope that I've given myself here on this show. The last month of the calendar is elderberry, and I've seen some pretty tall elderberry, so I might come back for that one. And of course, I never covered the first moon of the calendar, which is birch, and that's a big one, so I will for sure revisit for that. And if you've hated this series on Celtic lore, then I'm not sure why you're still here, but I guess you'll be happy to see it gone. All the weepy theatrics out of the way, we now find ourselves in the ninth moon of the Celtic Oum tree calendar, known as Kol. In Gaelic, this is the name for the hazelnut, and this tree rules the land from August 5th to September 1st. We're getting close to this calendar lining up with our Gregorian calendar, which is interesting. The hazelnut is an incredibly important tree in Irish mythology, obviously, but more so than you may realize. It strongly represents wisdom and takes a starring role in the legend that gave Ireland one of its most famous heroes. Hazelnut is also an incredibly important food source, both for primitive humans as well as today, considering one of my college roommates gained 50 pounds eating Nutella our freshman year. I promise you, this tree is associated with wisdom. But let's learn where this addictive snack comes from and hear the stories that have given it such strong symbolism. safe to say that we're all pretty familiar with what a hazelnut is. If not, I'll fill you in in a minute. But what I think many of us are curious about is what plant does this nut come from? Hazelnut trees belong to a genus called Coralus. There's around 15 or so hazelnut species between Asia, Europe, and North America. Here in the US, we have the beaked hazel and the American hazel. They generally grow everywhere east of the Mississippi and have also been naturalized on the west coast. These are for the most part not the hazelnuts that we in America consume though. The crop that ends up on the market is a hybrid between our American hazelnuts and the common European hazelnut. In Europe, however, these nuts aren't always called hazelnuts. Yes, I realize that most languages have their own names for things, but even in the English-speaking European world, these nuts can also be referred to as filberts. There's a couple possible reasons why this is one of which dates back to when Christianity took over the British Isles and converted Celtic pagan traditions to a more accepted format. One big reason we see the hazelnut ruling this moon is because this is the time of year when hazelnuts were harvested, and because it was such an important food crop, there were likely some big associated festivals. But when Christianity moved in, the priests were, 
uncomfortable with the idea of thanking nature for the harvest, and instead created a celebration thanking some figure named St. Philbert for the hazelnuts. And thus, the nuts were referred to as Philberts. One other theory is that prior to Christians replacing the holiday, hazelnuts had already gained the nickname Philbert from a Germanic word meaning full beard, and that when the St. Philbert celebration was created, the figure was named after this pre-established nickname for the nut. Ultimately, we do not know for sure, but there is a logical reasoning to support the theory of the full beard. You see, the hazelnut itself doesn't just dangle all raw and naked from the branch, it's enclosed in a fruit structure that is known as an involucre. What that is, is a sort of papery leaf capsule, like it was enclosed within a soft leaf. This leafy covering doesn't fit it perfectly though, there's always some amount of extra leafiness that just hangs down from the nut. And in the case of the American and common European hazelnuts, this extra bit kind of looks like a beard hanging down. This isn't the case for every hazelnut. In the case of the beaked hazelnut, and one species specifically called the filbert hazelnut, the papery exterior actually extends out like a little tube or like a duck's beak. Regardless of what form it takes, our hazelnuts form on shrubs, but they can grow to be the size of small trees that simply have a shrubby appearance. After winter dormancy, the flowers will be the first signs of life to come in. The male flowers that release pollen are our old friend the catkin, just some brown, unexciting, dangly bits that I have nothing more to say about. But the female flowers that catch the pollen and get pollinated are these interesting little red flowers called styles. They're like a little cluster of red tendrils, uh, a little freaky up close, but from a safe distance, they're just a real nice pop of color to paint against the retiring brown winter dormancy. Come spring, the leaves will fill in, and here we're just looking at some rough green ovals with real choppy edges. Oftentimes these leaves can be confused with that of birch, and that's because we find hazelnut in the birch family, Betulaceae. I've mentioned one other birch family member before, that would be the alder, way back in episode 18. The birch family itself is split into two subfamilies, one of which contains the alders and birches, meaning these trees are more closely related to each other than they are to the hazelnut. The other subfamily, where we find the hazelnut, also contains hornbeams, a tree that I really, really love. There's a special place in my heart for hornbeams. But there's also hop hornbeams, and one more Asian genus which has no English name, but apparently the name hazel hornbeam has been suggested because this subfamily is just really codependent. Speaking of dependency, the hazelnut has long been a food source that humans have depended on, and because of how it has provided so much for us in the ways of sustenance and survival, we see it playing integral roles in our stories and mythologies. We see the hazelnut gain importance in culture with its primary use as a food source. There is evidence of humans eating hazelnuts as early as 10,000 years ago. This on its own is not wholly remarkable, animals have to eat something. What I find interesting is how we are able to have some sort of understanding of the specifics of human diet that far back. Like the pomegranate, we see the older food sources and first cultivated foods as those that have found prominence in our religious practices. Early religions like the Celtic faith put a lot of focus on nature. We worship the land for providing for us and giving us life. 
there's a lot more direct association with the resources and religion rather than a separate figure providing us with those resources. And with these more direct religious associations, we as humans assign various ideals to the myriad of resources that support our societies. Sometimes the symbolism is obvious, like with the oak. The oak is always the poster child for obvious symbolism. It's a physically strong tree and therefore represents strength. So then, what comes into question is when things like the hazelnut are said to be associated with wisdom. Nuts can't really think, or philosophize. My personal theory has to do with the Full Beard Filbert nickname. We've historically tied age to wisdom, and old wise men are often depicted with long beards. So with this nut having its own leafy beard, it must enhance wisdom like the old bearded ones. I think that's pretty good, but regardless of how it got tied to wisdom, we see that being the primary aspect of this plant. Celtic tradition likes to assign magical powers to the natural world, and the hazel is all about magically enhancing one's wisdom. And also probably protection, because it's impossible for a tree to not have protection symbolism. Hazel probably works like a shield for the mind, or something like that, I don't know. One way that wisdom can be described is seeing through the illusion, knowing the truth of things. An example for this application was the use of hazel twigs as divining rods. It was said that a Y-shaped branch of hazel could guide someone to a water source, revealing the truth of its location. The single biggest story about the wisdom of hazelnuts is about the mythical Irish well of wisdom. Around this well grew nine hazelnut plants. These shrubs drew in water from the ground surrounding the well, and the nuts they bore held that wise power. It is said that holy salmon lived in this well, and they ate the hazelnuts of wisdom that dropped in the water. Legend claims that the number of spots on a salmon's back revealed how many wise nuts it had eaten. Once upon a time, there was this druid poet whose entire life's purpose was to find this well and learn how to gain its wisdom. One day, he found it. And his theory was that if you managed to catch one of the salmon that had eaten the hazelnuts of wisdom and eat it yourself, you would gain those wise powers. I don't know why you couldn't just eat the hazelnuts of wisdom yourself, but it's not my story, so I'll just shut up. So the druid poet told his pupil to catch one of the salmon and cook it up for him, but to make sure that he doesn't eat any. Bet that he wasn't going to share that wisdom with anyone else. Catching one of these salmon was apparently very tricky. I'm assuming the pupil was made to do it because he was younger and more nimble. It took him a while, but eventually he did catch one and started to cook it up. While the fish was cooking, this heat boil formed in the side of the fish, which can happen, and the lad went to pop it so it could cook normally. Uh, but wow, that fish was hot, and instinctively, the boy stuck his burnt thumb in his mouth to cool it down. It was in this way that the pupil accidentally consumed some of that wise fish juice and ended up being able to gain magical powers of extreme wisdom. This is the part of the story, though, that confuses me. Apparently, the druid poet couldn't eat the rest of the fish and also gain extreme wisdom. Apparently, he couldn't catch more fish. Maybe the pupil knew this druid poet was actually a jerk and now had the wisdom to know that he shouldn't be gaining any magical powers himself. We don't know because the story ends here. Well, that story ends there, but this is just the beginning for our now extremely wise pupil who went on to become one of Ireland's most beloved folk heroes. And his name 
was Finn McCool. I am obsessed with this man's name. I'm sure I had heard it before because my parents told me about a pub in New Orleans called Finn McCool's, but I think I just shook it off as a really interesting name. But knowing that the person who is essentially Celtic Hercules, well, Celtic Theseus, is named Finn McCool? I can't. I'm sorry, but I don't want to talk about the hazelnut anymore. I want to talk about Finn McCool. I'm starting over. Give me one sec. Hello and welcome to another episode of my favorite Finn McCool stories. My name is Thomas and I love Finn McCool. So we know his origin story, or at least how he got his powers. Let's talk about that name. It's not phonetically spelled Finn McCool, and if I would have tried to pronounce it independently, I would not have come up with something so rad. So I'm glad someone made that connection for me. His name allegedly means fair in Gaelic, in reference to his light-colored hair. So, of course, I'm picturing him to look like... Viggo Mortensen? The actor who played Aragorn in the Lord of the Rings trilogy? He had dark hair in the movies, but the actor in real life has blonde hair, so it works out fine for me. Considering I compared him to Hercules, it's expected that Finn McCool has been on many adventures and performed many feats of heroism, mostly based around his magically enhanced wisdom. So let's hear some of these stories. No, 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 I'm joking. I'm not doing the theme song again. It's the same show. I'm not not actually starting over. But I actually am. In one tale, Finn McCool traveled to Tara, which was the seat of the Irish High King. He wanted to convince the king to give him rule over the band of warriors that he had descended from, and apparently needed better leadership. But there was a problem in Tara. For the last 23 years, there was this evil creature that visited around every harvest festival and caused immense chaos. Different versions will describe it as different creatures. Fairy, goblin, phantom. In fact, different versions will tell different stories entirely, so I'm just sticking to one version. But whatever he was, his name was Aelin, and he would put all the armed guards to sleep, and without any violent resistance, he would just burn all their stuff. So in comes Finn McCool, who I will only refer to by his full name. And he used his newfound fishy wisdom to come up with a clever plan. He took a spear and leaned on it, enough to where it was constantly stabbing him, and used the pain to withstand Aelin's sleepy magic and stay awake. And as long as he could stay awake, he could fight, and finally defeat the fairy goblin phantom. In thanks, the High King granted him rule over that band of warriors, and this is how Finn McCool came to lead the Fianna. Our next story is about how Finn McCool met his first wife. Her name was Sive, and boy is that name not spelled phonetically. Sive was hit on by this sorcerer, but despite the danger that came with denying him, she just had to pass. And in retaliation, the sorcerer turned her into a deer. This certainly disrupted her plans in life, but she somehow managed to find out that there was a way for her to transform back. I guess there just always has to be a loophole in magic. The loophole was that she could turn back if she managed to take a step inside Finn McCool's fort. This was actually rather clever of the sorcerer, seeing as the Fianna were avid hunters, and if this deer got close to the fort, then they would kill it and eat it. But she had to try anyway, and sure enough, she was found by Finn McCool and his hunting dogs. The sorcerer didn't account for one thing, though. Finn McCool's hunting dogs were also humans who had been turned into animals. 
I won't be getting into that story. Since the dogs had once been human, they were apparently able to recognize that this deer was also a cursed human, and somehow alerted their master to this fact. Probably something to do with his magical wisdom, and he could just, you know, read their expression. It's not a deer, it's a person. <laughs> I see that in your eyes. So they let the deer come back to the fort, and as soon as she steps inside, she transforms into a beautiful woman. They fell in love, got married, and she became pregnant with his child. Finn McCool took this opportunity to go back to war, as warriors are wont to do. But while Finn McCool is away, and before Sive gave birth, she saw a vision of her husband returning to her, and went out to meet him. But psych, it was actually the evil sorcerer who had disguised himself using a hazel wand. I told you guys about that illusion magic. The sorcerer is upset to learn that not only is she human again, but she's also happily married to someone who wasn't him. So in retaliation, he transforms her back into a deer, but a pregnant deer this time, and she was never seen again. Sometime later, the Fianna were traveling through the mountains and came across a little human boy all alone in the wild. The warriors were like, Hey, this kid looks just like Finn McCool. I bet it's his son. So apparently his once again dear wife did give birth to this human child who survived long enough to be found. The son, named Oizen, meaning little deer, has his own set of stories and heroic escapades. One more Finn McCool story, but you realize now that I was serious about switching themes. This is who I am now. Some of you may be familiar with a landform in Northern Ireland known as the Giant's Causeway. It's that rocky shore where all the stones are those super neat and uniform geometric shapes. As legend has it, that used to be part of a bridge that stretched from Ireland to Scotland. Finn McCool made it, that's why it's so uniform because it's actually crafted cobble. But at some point, Finn McCool found himself needing to fight a giant that was causing mayhem on the bridge and was on its way to Ireland. He went to go scout things out, and found that the giant was in fact very large and very strong. Much larger and stronger than Finn McCool, because his magic power was wisdom and not strength. But it was still his wisdom that saved the day. Finn McCool ran back to Ireland and issued a challenge to the giant, and the giant headed that way to fight some guy he only knew by name. In preparation for his plan, Finn McCool had his wife, who is not a deer in this story, use magic powers to transform him into a baby. But he only changed into a baby in appearance, not size. So now he's just a massive man-sized baby. Here comes the giant down the causeway, and he comes across a woman who is nursing an absolutely massive baby. The giant stops and asks her about this, and the woman tells him she is Finn McCool's wife, and that this hulking creature is his newborn infant. First off, Holy ouch. The giant looks at this baby and thinks, Well, if Finn McCool's newborn is this large, how big must the man be himself? And he ultimately decided he wanted nothing to do with that. So he ran back to Scotland across the causeway and destroyed it as he went so that whatever monster that Finn McCool was couldn't follow him. And that's how the giant's causeway came to be how it is today. I kind of like how they made Finn McCool one of those heroes whose achievements were based on cleverness rather than raw might. I guess in that way it makes him more like the Greek hero Theseus than Hercules, but less people know about Theseus. 
There is one story, though, where Finn McCool apparently ripped out a huge chunk of Ireland and threw it into the sea and thus created the Isle of Man. So, some people thought he was strong, but I'm gonna ignore that. Some people say he never even died, he's just chilling in a cave under Dublin. Dead or not, his life was an incredible one, and all because of a fish that ate some hazelnuts. I really love to see when trees and plants who are famous in old legends are still relevant in our modern day. For 10,000 years, it has been an invaluable food source, and it's something that is still consumed en masse today. Nutella, for instance, is hugely popular, despite the controversy around palm oil. That college roommate I mentioned sure loved it. He actually lost that weight, but you know what? He still really loves Nutella. Hazelnut is also a super popular flavor to add to coffee. I'm honestly not fond of hazelnut-flavored coffee myself, but I really love the smell. I actually took a mythology class in high school, and that teacher, who would probably be thrilled about this podcast, would make several pots of hazelnut coffee throughout the day. Sometimes he wouldn't even drink it, he just knew his students liked the smell, and so he used it like a scented candle. And we get so much more from the tree than that. Hazel is still a widely popular name, and is also one of the most popular eye color descriptors, based on the light brown color of hazelnuts. This crop is an integral part of our past, but it's also something that could help our food production in the future. As our climate changes, farmers are facing issues with longer and more frequent drought periods, and we're having to look at how to make crops more drought resistant. The hazelnut that we grow today is one species that already doesn't require as much water for the same amount of productivity. Because of this, it will be resistant to drought increases and water rationing. Hazel is also a plant that is known to be good at sequestering carbon, meaning it can capture excess carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and store it for long periods of time to help us mitigate the effects of greenhouse gases. This is a good crop to invest in. It's healthy for humans, in moderation, and makes for great livestock feed. It's probably not the most popular or productive of crops, but we need to really be conscious of our crop diversity in the event that a blight attacks a crop that we are too dependent on. The hazel is often overlooked, I think, but it is certainly deserving of its own month. The Celtic Oem Tree calendar has been really fun for me, because it's not only shown me how a faith has built their belief system around certain trees, but why. I hope you've enjoyed hearing so many stories from this one cultural source. Everyone likes to know their birthstone, their zodiac sign. Maybe check out this calendar and see what tree rules your birth month. Take this symbolism with a grain of salt, though. My birth tree is the hawthorn, that thorny shrub that I straight up skipped over. Also, think about your own tree calendar. These are all trees that are important to life on the British Isles, but I and most of my listeners live in North America. Think about what trees in your own backyard are meaningful to you and your heritage. The next couple episodes are going to share a similar theme. I'm going to be talking about old trees. In two weeks, on August 24th, I'll be starting off with the bristlecone pine, those twisty, gnarly old geezers on top of mountains in the American West. I'll see you then. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their stuff on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Wherever good music exists, they are there. 
My cover art is by Brittany Burnett. Find her incredible photography on Instagram at BoomerangBrit. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at My Favorite Trees and get updates on future episodes and extra goodies. If you'd like to take me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug. <laughs>